Well, who'd have thought two weeks ago, huh, that we'd have been uh, live streaming today for our worship service. This is new for Beulah, and um, we didn't see it coming. But I guess pandemics have a way of reordering our uh, priorities and our routines. And they also have a way of bringing with them some hardship. So obviously we're, we're kind of isolated from each other today. We're not together, but truthfully, although our movement may be somewhat limited, most of us haven't experienced a whole lot of hardship or pain because of this coronavirus deal. But if I don't miss my guess, most of us can look at seasons of life when we did experience some hardship or some suffering. Some of us have lost loved ones in, in ways that, 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 that didn't make sense for reasons that, that really had no logic to them. Some of, us, some of us continue to work and strive and labor, and yet we feel like at, at every turn, we experience only rejection and failure. Some of us struggle with, with feelings and emotions or maybe even sinful tendencies that, that threaten to undo us, and we, and we don't feel like we can share those with others. We, uh, we just kind of feel crushed by the weight of those. Some of us, uh, on an ongoing, moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, wrestle with physical and medical and um, uh, psychological or emotional handicaps that make even ordinary, routine behaviors, monumental achievements. I suppose the list could go on and on. The the truth is that we all face hardships. We all struggle in, in various ways. And if we're to be honest, we understand that that's not new to us. It's not new to, to our generations. And so today we're starting a series through the, the Bible book of Ruth. And we're going to see in this series that hardship far predates us as does God's ability to bring us through that hardship. The book of Ruth is the story of an ordinary Jewish woman who experienced extraordinary hardship. It's about her quest to know God and to walk with him. There's actually a sense in which this Old Testament book of Ruth might be misnamed. You see, Ruth isn't really the main character of the story. The the story isn't told from her perspective. And realistically, it doesn't even focus on her. There are a number of other characters in the story who perhaps the story could have been named after a bit more accurately. Take, for example, Naomi. Uh, This story, as we'll see, actually is told from Naomi's perspective, from her point of view. And, And almost everything we read about in this story traces a line back to Naomi. We read about Naomi's husband. We read about Naomi's sons, Naomi's daughters-in-law. We read about Naomi's losses and Naomi's God and Naomi's return to Bethlehem and Naomi's people and Naomi's relative and the land that Naomi is going to sell. Everything in this story on the surface seems to find its meaning based on how it relates to Naomi. Or perhaps the book could have been called the book of Boaz. You see, as we read this story, we we begin to see that this Boaz character has a lot to say. Actually, of all the characters who speak in this story, it's him, Boaz, who says the most. 
And, and he seems to be the hero of the story. He's the one we might say with the red cape who swoops in and saves the day. Uh, truthfully, without Boaz on the human level, there is no happy ending to the story. This book could have even been called the book of Obed, grandfather of David. Because realistically, Obed is the happy ending to the story we're going to read. But the book is called the book of Ruth for a reason. You see, Ruth was a foreign woman, a refugee living in a land that was not her own. Her own people, the Moabites, were despised by Israel. And so of all of the characters in this story, Ruth should be the most least likely to demonstrate a willingness to follow God and a desire, a willingness to, to lay everything on the line for another person. Ruth was a living, breathing example that God's loving kindness And God's redemption is for anybody and everybody who will commit to following him. So today in a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to hear the whole story of Ruth in one sitting. But before we do that, I want to prepare you by sharing with you three key themes that we're going to encounter throughout the book of Ruth. And then three things that we have to keep in mind as we read Ruth's story. So let's start with three significant things. Number one, these are themes throughout the book of Ruth, themes that seem to bubble to the top. Number one, God's fingerprints are all over the lives of his people. You know, as we read the book of Ruth, the narrator doesn't always speak directly of God's involvement, but it's clear throughout that the author believes that we should recognize God's hand throughout. For example, God's hand is present in what we might call natural events. Actually, we read that in Ruth 1.6 where, where it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Not only is God's hand obvious in natural events, but it's apparently present in what we might call chance events. We see that in chapter 2 when Ruth just happens to begin threshing in a field that belonged to a relative of her deceased father-in-law. We also see in the story of Ruth God's hand present in the delicate and daring schemes of humans. We see this in chapter 3 as Naomi concocts a plan for Ruth to go and make an appeal to Boaz on the threshing floor. In chapter four of Ruth, we see that God's hand is present in the legal process, believe it or not. Uh, If you know the story of chapter four, you know how Boaz appeals before the, uh, the court, if you will, of the village for the right to marry Ruth. And it's clear that God is involved in that. And, And finally, God is even involved in the most intimate events of human life. In Ruth 4.13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became, became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. There could be no doubt as you read the book of Ruth that the author wanted us to know that God's fingerprints are all over everything that happens in our lives. 
even when we don't recognize what he's up to, even when life isn't what it's always been, even when we're separated by social distance and, 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 and mandates or suggestions of the government, even when we mess up and move in the wrong direction, even when we think our circumstances are beyond all hope and there's no coming back from this, God's fingerprints are all over it. Now for our last two key or significant themes here, I've chosen to use actual Hebrew words because there's really no concise English way to capture what these two words mean. uh, So our second key theme is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, if we were to try to boil it down, might speak of God's loving kindness. Over 300 times in the Old Testament, a form of this Hebrew word hesed is used. And and we hear it in, in the refrain that appears time and time again throughout the Old Testament. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness, his hesed endures forever. Listen to what uh, scholars, biblical scholars, say about this word hesed. This is a strong relational term that wraps itself wraps in itself an entire cluster of concepts, all the positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness. In short, hesed is that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring to the one who expresses it. Hesed speaks of a loyalty born out of love and kindness. In the book of Ruth, we see chesed or this loving kindness throughout. For example, in, in, in the first chapter, Naomi asks the Lord to show his chesed to his daughters-in-law as they return home. Naomi speaks of the Lord's chesed, his loving kindness to her because of what Boaz had done for Ruth in chapter 2. In chapter 3, there's this beautiful exchange between Boaz and Ruth where he affirms Ruth's chesed when she asked him to marry her instead of seeking a younger man. Not only does he affirm that chesed, but he says it's greater than the chesed that she showed to Naomi when she came with Naomi from the land of Moab back to Bethlehem. We even see that Boaz performed an act of chesed when he went beyond the the legal bounds of what he had to do in order to marry Ruth. Our third key uh, key theme here is the Hebrew word goel. Forms of this word goel are used in the book of Ruth almost more than all other Old Testament books. Only Leviticus and Jeremiah have more occurrences of the word, and then it's only by like two uses. This little four-chapter book packs a punch when it comes to this word goel. The closest word in English that we might use to translate it would be the word redeemer. But as we read the Hebrew, especially in the book of Ruth, there's a clear legal context for the word goel. We see it a lot in chapter four as Boaz goes before the village elders, the court, if you will, uh, and, and attempts or invites to get the actual guardian redeemer, the first in line, that's the goel, the guardian redeemer, to claim what is rightfully his. The author makes it clear in the story that, that, that Boaz is Ruth's goel, her guardian redeemer, and that through Boaz, God is showing himself to Israel and to Naomi as the goel as the guardian redeemer. 
And as Christians, we can hardly read the end of the story without hearing the connection to our coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the the one about who Job writes, I know that my Redeemer, my Goel, lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. So those are three key themes that run throughout this book. Let me share with you quickly three interpretive keys that we need to keep in mind as we read this story. If we skip over these, uh, we're going to miss the punch that the Holy Spirit wants us to feel through this book. Number one, women have a profound role. Women have a profound role. It's nearly impossible to miss the feminine themes throughout this story. You've got themes like widowhood and marriage, barrenness and childbirth, single parenting, loss of a child, the role of the caregiver, the the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, uh, male-female dynamics and relationships, all those and more come up as we see the story of redemption through the eyes of women. Through these themes, it becomes clear that Uh, Women are not incidental characters in God's unfolding story. God created women to be his image bearers, to know him, to become like him, to represent him in their interactions with others. A woman's ability to express God's working in her and through her is not contingent upon her connection to a man. God gives women on their own plenty of capacity to be brave and crafty and cunning and tenacious and strong and appealing and blessed. Even in a culture, a patriarchal culture that focused on men, and that was the culture of Naomi and Ruth, even in that culture, it was clear that God had a different perspective, that God viewed, views women not as second-class citizens, but as image bearers who are fully capable of advancing his purposes for those around him, around them. Now, while women's story, uh, our women's part in God's story isn't contingent upon having a man in her life, the book of Ruth also makes it clear that God's design from creation is for men and women to join forces in serving him together. And we see this as the story begins to find its resolution as Boaz and Naomi and Ruth begin to work together to accomplish God's redeeming desire and design in this time in history. We see that God's desire is is not just that men and women would do their things separately, but that they would work together in the way that God designed to partner for his purpose. The second interpretive theme that we have to keep in mind is that God is the hero. God is always the hero of every story in scripture. It's easy to to look at this story and perhaps think that the tenacious Naomi who doesn't give up no matter what life throws at her is the heroine of this story. Or, or, Or perhaps to think that Ruth, who is brave enough to leave her family and go to a place she didn't know and be surrounded by a people who would be inclined to hate her, to think that perhaps she's the hero. Or even to look at Boaz and think that that he's the one swooping in to save the day. But the truth is that God is the hero. Of all the heroic events and themes in this story, only God has his fingerprints 
on all of them. Actually, anytime we read scripture, no matter how captivating the story is or the heroes are, we have to focus on this truth. Our top priority in reading scripture is to learn about God, to see what the Bible reveals about who he is and how he relates to his people. So whenever we read scripture, our quest is always to discover what is God telling me, telling us about himself, who he is, and how he relates to us. If we marginalize God or if we make someone else the hero of the story, we will always miss the main message of the book or of the story. Always. And our final uh, interpretive key that we, that we need to recall is that the scripture writer, the, the person who wrote this story, the book of Ruth, didn't write it with chapter and verse breaks. And so that's not how we're going to listen to it today. I've invited a few friends to join me here, and we're going to read the story of Ruth. We're going to read the text this morning. As we read, I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the stories of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And ask God to help you understand, help you feel how God used each of them to bring all of the characters in the story from ruin to redemption. Ruth, from ruin to redemption. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, <clears throat> it is more bitter for me than for you 
because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink of water from the jars the men have filled. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people who you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. 
She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she thrust the barley she had gathered and it filled an entire basket. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Sit here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. 
Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of, the, of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, the other man said. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer, transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown, today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in the Pathra and be famous in Bethlehem. Though the offspring of the, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women of Bethlehem said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Hear the word of the Lord. Friends, will you bow and pray with me as we close our service today?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you not only that it uh, specifically tells us how uh, things that we should and should not do, but that it shows us the lives of those who have struggled with some of the same things that we struggle with, who've known hardship, who've known the, the loss of family members, who've known what it means to look around and say, I don't know what to do next. Father, thank you for this story, this story of Ruth that we're going to dig into over the next several weeks, and and that it shows us a constant reminder that you are our Redeemer, that your loving kindness wins the day, and that we can partner with you in showing your loving kindness and your redemption to others. Father, may we each find ourselves in that story this week. May we remember that your fingerprints are all over everything that's happening to us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and soon coming King. Amen. Well, as we usually do when we're together, I'd like to uh, close our time together with a blessing. It may seem odd for you to do this in your living room, uh, but let's be odd together. I'm going to raise my hands to pronounce the blessing, and if you'd like, you can uh, raise your hands to receive them and and. And because we always do it, why don't you respond with and also to you so we can bless one another. May you know that God's fingerprints are all over your story. May you be his conduit of his loving kindness to those around you. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you his peace. Amen. You were loved. Go with God's grace.